0: And let me welcome you again to our Midnight Communion service. It's almost Christmas. It's very exciting. I think it will actually be Christmas before I finish the sermon tonight. So you need to be very patient and self-restrained. Don't start sending text messages to people until a little bit later. It may seem a little bit odd that as we remember Jesus' birth in just a few moments, we're actually going to spend time remembering his death. Uh, The title for the sermon tonight, Born to Die. might not seem very Christmassy with all the excitement that's going on. We're going to think about it for a few minutes. Uh, It has to be one of the most famous deaths, doesn't it? You never met him, but you heard how he died. Uh, Understanding the facts of his death, it seems unimaginably horrible. Uh, Still breathing, uh, but feeling life draining away. In constant pain and in the public gaze... It's not a pleasant way to leave this life. It lacks a certain dignity, doesn't it? Add on to that that he was still a relatively young man, uh, and we only seem to increase the tragedy. Uh, we are, of course, talking about Alexander Litvinenko, uh, the former Russian agent who was poisoned. Uh, to describe his death as suspicious seems an understatement. Uh, what, what did you think? Uh, was his death deliberate? A murder? Alexander seemed to think so, because among his dying words reported in the Times were these, The bastards got me. They won't get us all. And chilling, aren't they? A death like that raises all sorts of questions. A death generally raises all sorts of questions. I guess, as some of you know firsthand, what it's like to lose or to be losing a loved one. perhaps you've got unanswered questions. My father died when I was still a relatively young man. What are we to make of death? That great downbeat comedian Woody Allen commented, Death has impressive statistics. One out of every one dies. Somerset Maughan felt less impressed. He said, Dying is a very dull, dreary affair. And my advice to you is to have nothing whatsoever to do with it. And then we think about the death mentioned in our title tonight again you never met him but we've heard about his death his process of dying again it's unimaginably horrible and not just gasping for breath as the world watches but doing it stripped naked and nailed to a cross total humiliation and the process was designed to rob you of any dignity See, at christmas Oh, we still remember the baby. And grown up, Jesus is viewed as a good man. So do we view his death as suspicious, deliberate, a murderer? And among his dying words recorded in the pages of the Bible were these, uh, quite striking when compared with the bastards got me. Because he said, Father, forgive them. And it is finished. Not I'm finished. It's finished. As if the job's been done. And you might think a death like that raises all sorts of questions. And I guess I'd agree, but I want to suggest tonight, just for these few minutes, his death actually answers more questions. Questions about your life, our world, and God. And a little like Alexander Litvinenko was able to tell us about his death, in verse 45, and it's printed out on your service sheet, just below where it says the sermon title, uh, Jesus does the same. It's verse 45. That's just what we're going to look at for the next few minutes. Uh, it says this. And these are Jesus' words. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And before we get to the answers, let's just uh, tackle that question. Was his death deliberate? And I think we have to say, well, Jesus' death was deliberate. Uh, Records outside of the New Testament say so. The New Testament documents are pretty clear. Out of favour with religious and political leaders, arrested on invented charges, uh, put through a mock trial. The witnesses didn't even agree. Uh, The Roman governor wanted to release him, but political pressure was brought to bear and he felt it expedient to allow the execution. Justice was put aside. Uh, They wanted to kill him and they did it. But That's only half the story, and it's summarized here, isn't it? For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. The title is accurate. If you're here and already a Christian, remember this as you head into Christmas. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, then understand this. And to think about Christmas properly, you need to understand Jesus was. Born to die. And before we leave that, though, don't think he's talking about death with some morbid fascination. This was a man who loved life, who made deep and close friendships, who enjoyed parties and weddings. You'll have friends who you'll describe like this, the life and soul of the party. Some of them will be around with you tomorrow. One of Jesus' friends described him as the life, as something incredibly alive about him. And yet, come to give his life. Jesus' death is deliberate. Deliberate because people killed him and deliberate because he said that's why he came that first Christmas. Now here's the, the second thought. Is this really? Jesus' death explains your life. And let me tell you about two specific ways. Well, Jesus' death says you're a slave and so am I. And also, we're guilty before God. Uh, We're slaves and we're guilty. If we want answers to make sense of our lives, those are two things we need to understand. And Jesus' death explains them to you, and it's there again in verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. You hear ransom, and if you're like me, we're immediately thinking kidnappers. But the Bible means something more than that. Ransom was how people were released. It didn't have to be from kidnappers. I guess the big picture in the Bible is of the people of Israel being rescued by God from slavery in Egypt. So when Jesus uses it here, he's meaning we're in slavery. Now what does he mean? Well, he's summing up part of the Bible's teaching about you and me. What the Bible calls sin. Our refusal to acknowledge God as our ruler. We say we're not going to live with him in charge. We ignore and reject him. That's essentially sin. And in doing that, we find ourselves enslaved to living outside of God's way. And we're always wanting to do our own thing. At some level, we all want to please ourselves. See, I guess you, like me, are sometimes baffled why, for all the advancements humanity has made across the centuries, in technology, the arts, standard of living, why we still seem to demonstrate the same flaws. We hang our heads bemused because we can improve health, education, and communication, but still seem unable to live for too long at peace. We're unable to eradicate war, abuse, and the exploitation of the poor. Richard Dawkins, the Oxford professor, may say the major cause of those things is religion, but it hardly seems right, does it? When terrible things have been done by people who hold no religious view at all. It's ironic, don't you think, that our leaders are commendably trying to end war in the Middle East. Yet as we finish 2006, the two senior leaders of our government seem unable to end war with each other. If you read the story around Jesus' words, you'll see his closest friends were even squabbling about who would get the top job in Jesus' government. And oh, nothing's changed. And I guess you, like me, will have sat this past year with your head in your hands wondering why you even seem incapable of living up to your own standards. I often hear celebrities on the TV say that they try to live without any regrets. I'm not convinced. I think we've got plenty of regrets. Although we do many good things, we're frustrated by the things that we do wrong. we reject God to our own detriment. At our best moments, we fight against our bad behaviour, but it's a constant struggle because, well, we're slaves. And that word ransom, it also carries the idea of a sacrifice that would avert anger, a substitute that would take The blame, and you understand what's behind that, you need that kind of ransom because there is blame. See, we're guilty of something. We may live in a society that proclaims truth is relative, that with a few exceptions, moral choices are nothing more than personal preferences. So Jesus' words come as a bit of a shock. He gives his judgment on what I hope are just my personal preferences. Now, what are we to make of a God like this who shows up telling us that the verdict on our lives is guilty in need of ransom? We're slaves to rejecting God, and we're guilty. And the reason it's good to know that is because that's the explanation Jesus' death gives for why, even with the many blessings of education, technology, health improvements. We still use spies and assassins and gossip and lust. We're slaves. See, Jesus' death explains our lives. And now, forgive me, because you might think, oh, this is very miserable. It seems miserable, doesn't it? And it's meant to be Christmassy. All this right before Christmas. Look, I'm not trying to be miserable, but if we want to be clear about uh, some of the things that are wrong in our world and our lives, we'll need some clear answers. And Jesus' death gives us those answers, but it doesn't need to leave us miserable. See, you look again at this verse and you'll see it actually puts an incredible value on your life. Jesus' death puts a value on your life. I wonder if you made a Christmas shopping list. Did you do that? Did you make a Christmas shopping list a couple of weeks ago? Uh, For some of you, it was probably today in the afternoon you made your shopping list and rushed out. Uh, If you do it like me, you you write on a piece of paper the names of the people you want to buy presents for. And if you are like me, uh, you're on a budget. I'm Scottish, I'm always on a budget. But... (laughs) Uh, So you write down the names on one side, and beside the names, you write down how much you'll spend on each person, roughly. So the list goes, mum, dad, your husband or wife, boyfriend or girlfriend, school or uni mates, your pet dog, all those kind of things. And if you're like me, do you ever do this? You sometimes write down a name, and then you scrub them out again. Have you ever done that in your list? Uh, On reflection, and in view of your budget, you decide you can't actually afford to buy them a present after all, uh, and they're off the list. There will be nothing under your tree with their name written on it now. How important is your life to God? He said, well, this says, that God views the way you live as important. Your life is not unnoticed. You're on the list when it comes to the people God considers. If he's making a judgment on your life, You matter. Uh, But there's more. Because when you think in terms of budget, the figure God has penciled in beside your name is Jesus, given for you. I know this won't answer every question you've got about suffering and a God of love. We're only looking at one small part of the Bible tonight, one verse, but it is saying... Jesus' death is the means by which God demonstrates the value of your life to him. At the price he's willing to pay to ransom you. To deal with your guilt for all the things you've done wrong and to free you from being someone who rejects God into someone who can start to live God's way again. If you're a Christian here tonight, are you remembering this? God has come and set you free. Are you ending this year feeling guilty? Well, here is freedom from guilt through his forgiveness. Are you ending this year having messed up? Well, here is freedom to start living for him now with his help. But Jesus came, and his death sets you free. You are that valuable to God. Christmas is a great time for for watching your favorite films. I don't know if you've been flicking through the radio times to see what's on. I don't know if it's on, but one of my favorite films is is a film called The Princess Bride. Have you ever seen that film? It was out quite a number of years ago. It's a film all about true love. It's wonderful. If you've not seen it, uh, try and get hold of it. It starts on a farm with Buttercup, uh, the beautiful young, if slightly superior girl. You'll know plenty of girls like that, slightly superior. And Wesley, Wesley, that the handsome but poor farm boy. It's a great start to a film. Uh, Buttercup is mean to him. She says things like this, Farm boy, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. And all Wesley says is, as you wish. A buttercup drops two large buckets near him and says, Farm boy, fill these with water. And all he says is as you wish. And then in the film we hear the voice over. That day, she was amazed to discover that when he was saying as you wish, what he meant was I love you. It's cheesy that, isn't it? It gets worse. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. See, Buttercup is loved, and she's changed. Forgive me, I I know it's cheesy. And that's fairy tale love, isn't it? It's twinkly lights, and it's romantic music. And, And Christmas, it can feel like a fairy tale time, can't it? It's all twinkly lights. See, but there's nothing fairy tale about Christmas love. The reality of it was hammered into a man on a cross who said as he died, Father, forgive them. And that kind of love really can change you. See, it's one thing to think about Jesus' life and death in an abstract kind of way. But have you discovered that while he's explaining his death, What it means is he loves you. You and I with all our issues are the objects of heavenly affection. And if you're one of the people who's here tonight and not a Christian yet, you could know and enjoy that love and forgiveness. You could be forgiven by God and set free from living for yourself To live for the one who gives you life. If you put your trust in Jesus. Who was born to die for you.